All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to the Sermon on the Mount as we continue our study through this wonderful sermon that Jesus preached. And yes, we are taking some time to go through it, but I want to squeeze every ounce of truth out of this great sermon. And the section that we're in, in uh, chapter 6, is a section where Jesus is addressing uh, the corrupt practice of the hypocrites. And he covers three areas, giving, praying, and fasting. And we're in the section now where he's covering the area of praying. And he has said that we're not to pray like the hypocrites in verse 5. And we're not to pray like the pagans in verse 7. But then he gives us a model prayer. Now, this is not a prayer that Jesus prayed. It's typically called the Lord's Prayer. It's just like any portion of Scripture that can be used in a worship service. But it's not a prayer that we should just all of a sudden start praying. It is a model prayer. And the petitions in this prayer teach us some principles of prayer. Jesus said in verse 9, After this manner, therefore, pray ye. It is not some magical prayer. It is a model prayer. We are to pattern our prayers after this prayer. And so we will take some time going through this. We're starting with the first petition. Our Father, actually the invocation, of the prayer, the opening invocation, our Father who art in heaven. And I said that that word our shows that God in heaven is a personal Father, but he is all of our Father. We do not pray, we do not worship, we do not live the Christian life in isolation from other believers, true believers in Jesus Christ. Let me put it this way very simply. We're in this together as the body of Christ. That has a lot of implications, of course. It means that the strong are supposed to help the weak. We're here to help those who are faced with temptations and fall into sin. We are in this together. And so it is our Father We are not lone ranger Christians. We are together in this Christian life. And then we went into how we can know that God is our Father. And there's going to be a childlike disposition. There'll be some tears for sin, as a child would weep when he offends his father. There'll be righteous anger that wells up within us when someone speaks ill of our Father or taints, or adulterates his worship. And there ought to be a love in us, a love like Christ had for his Father, which along with that goes reverence and obedience, and we should be sad when there's a loss of his presence, as it were, in our lives. It also means we'll love his day of worship and his day of rest, and we'll love others in the family. I think John said it, how can you say you love God when you don't love 
those who are in the family. And then we talked about there be a family resemblance. That we will, like our Sunday school lesson was talking about, God will be working in us to do his good pleasure, and his good pleasure is to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And then we'll know that God is our father when the spirit indwells us, because it is the spirit within us that cries out, Abba, Father. God is an intimate father. We talked about this being a rare address. Neither the pagans nor the Jews at the time of Christ would even think about calling the pagans their God, their father, or the Jews in Christ's time calling God their father. It was a rare address. It would have shocked the followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus, of course, used that address often probably use the Aramaic word Abba, which would be equivalent to our form of a child calling their father Daddy today. Very intimate term, intimate and personal. We can use this address because God has adopted us into his family. And so we can call the God of the universe our Father. But it also tells us who can model their prayers after this prayer, and it is those who have been made children of God through regeneration, who God has adopted into their family. Not everybody can address God this way. And we talked about the whole miracle of divine grace is contained in that single word, calling God Father. We are sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Christ has made that possible. So I want to move on. It's a little bit of kind of ramping up into the next phrase of this opening invocation. Our Father, who art in heaven. Our Father, who art in heaven. What we need to remember is that phrase, in heaven. Because God as our Father is an exalted Father. He's an exalted Father. And He's also a perfect Father. Ecclesiastes 5.2 says, For God is in heaven and you on earth. God, as a Father, is supremely great. He is high and lifted up and holy. Our Father in heaven helps to correct any false notions we might have about earthly fatherhood. And there are a lot. Matthew 5.48 says that we are to be perfect, even as your Father who is in heaven is perfect. Now, according to our Sunday school lesson, the Christian life is not hard. It's what? It's impossible. But God as our Father has left us an example of how he wants us to live. He is perfect in love as a Father. His love is not a conditional love, as many earthly fathers' love is. He is perfect in wisdom. He knows what's best for his children. 
He is perfect in discipline. How many have ever been disciplined by an angry father? Tom, you're shaking your head. He is perfect in teaching, and he is perfect in power. We have an earthly father, a physical father, but we have a heavenly father, a spiritual father. Our father on this earth is a finite father. Our father in heaven is an infinite father. And on this earth, we have a father who is limited in resources, but we have a father, a heavenly father, that is unlimited in his resources and power. You ever ask God to sell some of the cattle on the thousand hills to help you with the financial need? I have. I've asked my Father in heaven for things that only he could provide. He is unlimited in resources. And that heavenly Father, according to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly faces, places. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And folks, what I get from that verse and what I get from Peter is that our heavenly Father has given us everything that we need to live for him, to be conformed to the image of Christ. All spiritual blessings. Nothing is lacking. God is a perfect, perfect heavenly father. Now to some people, thinking about God as a father, it would not be very comforting to them. Comforting thoughts would not be what they think about when they think about God as a father. But it would be a title to them that would be repulsive and it would bring fear. Psychologists have said, or is it, yeah, psychologists have said that sometimes children, if not corrected by proper theology, would grow up with an improper view of God as father based upon their earthly father and how he acts. And may I say, to the fathers, that it is incumbent upon you. I know you can't be perfect. I'm not. But it is incumbent upon you as a earthly father to your children is to stay in the word and to pray and ask God to make you a good father because in some form or fashion, their ideas of who God is will be based upon their interaction with you as an earthly father. Now, to some, thinking about God as a father, it would be repulsive to them because they have had fathers who were drunks, fathers who were drug addicts, fathers who were harsh and hard and selfish, self-centered fathers thinking only about themselves, fathers who may have beat them or abused them or disciplined them out of anger. They may have been weak-willed men, and the children did not respect them. 
They may have had earthly fathers who neglected their duties, had a bad temper, or inconsistent in discipline. You know how you overcome that? An improper view of God being your father? Get into the word. Learn who God is. Read good books. I think A.W. Tozer has a good book out, The Knowledge of the Holy. Learn from the word of God how perfect your heavenly father is. I had a situation with my dad, my father, where I actually did transfer to God the attributes that my father had. I got myself into a lot of trouble in junior high. And no, I'm not going to tell you what it was. But it was really bad. And I got kicked out of the house as an eighth grader and had to live in a travel trailer next to the house and my mom would bring me my meals. My, my dad basically disowned me. And I remember when I was finally allowed to get back into the house, eighth grade graduation was coming. My dad had bought me a gift for the eighth grade graduation. It was a 10-speed bike, really nice 10-speed bike. Took me to the neighbor's shed where he had stored it so I wouldn't see it. Gave me the gift. Gave me a small hug. And then he said these words, and I'll never forget them. Now show me that you deserve it. That's conditional love. And I remember years later as a believer pounding on my pillow asking God to love me. Thought that I didn't deserve God's love. Folks, do not transfer to your perfect heavenly father the attributes that we associate with our earthly fathers. Get into the word and learn how good God is all the time. Well, we need to understand by this term, our Father who art in heaven, is that God dwells in a totally different realm from us. He dwells in the heavenlies. He dwells in a heavenly realm. The word heaven here does not so much refer to where God dwells as it refers to the sphere or the realm which God rules and accomplishes his will on earth. Yes, God has a throne room, and it is in the heavens of heavens, but God's realm is a different and perfect dimension of life, a perfect sphere or realm of life. It's hard to explain. God does not dwell in one place. God inhabits eternity. And eternity is vast, but God is vaster, if you would. He is infinite. 
and he inhabits, he dwells in eternity. The heavens and heavens cannot contain him. But he has chosen one place to display his glory, the throne room of heaven. This word here is not referring to the place where he has chosen to display his glory. It is referring to that spiritual realm, the heavenly realm. The realm that we're connected to through Christ. It is a place or a state, a sphere, a realm that is high above this commonplace condition on earth. It is the place from which God rules and reigns. Psalm 115 and verse 3 says this. Let me start in verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the nations say, where is now their God? Remember the nations made idols, graven images. The Jews didn't have that. So it was like, where's your God? Our God is in the heavens. And he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. And so it's linking, linking the idea of God dwelling in that realm, the heavenly realm, the spiritual realm, if you would, with his sovereignty. And then in your minds, link that to the fact that God is your father. He is in control of all things. And he is in control of all things in your life as you walk this earth. God is glorious and majestic and far above all. And from that realm, he sees and knows everything in our lives. Everything. That stray thought that you had this morning or yesterday, God knows it. So the word heaven here helps us to remember the greatness of God. He's not just a father. He's a great father. He's a holy father. He's far above all. And that word helps us to remember how highly God is exalted over us. So combined with the word father, we see God's love, perfect we see his power, perfect, none more powerful than my Father in heaven. Amen? And we see his perfection. Every attribute that we can think of that is good from our earthly fathers, God is far above that attribute in his perfection. And so what this should do for us, if you get nothing else from this sermon, remember this statement. It produces affection for God as our Father with a reverential fear. It produces affection for God as our Father with a reverential fear. Our Father who art in heaven. It is a prayer, a model prayer that's addressed to a divine person who always, always, always has our best interest at heart. 
And so as our Father, we come to him with confidence and love, but the word heaven fills us with that humility and awe that the God of the universe has condescended to work in our lives, to love us like he loves us. And so we see in this combination of the words both an eminence and transcendence, but also condescension and majesty. Let me simplify it. We see nearness and we see exaltedness. We see God's willingness and eagerness to hear us and we see his sovereign majesty over us and the right to answer the requests of his children his way. So don't miss the balance in this opening invocation. We can address God as intimately as our Father, but we must not forget his infinite greatness. And so our Father who art in heaven, so combined, the word heaven combined with our Father, this address, believe it or not, corrected the common Jewish conception of God. The Jewish people at the time of Christ tended to think of God, and this is not wrong, but they tended to think of God as so exalted that a personal relationship with him was impossible. What I mean is that what is not wrong is that they thought about him in those exalted terms. But to the Jewish mind, God was so exalted that to have a personal relationship with him was impossible. And so to a Jew during the time of Christ, God was so transcendent that the conception of God as a personal being was actually lost. And so this phrase this opening invocation, our Father who art in heaven, was was correcting this Jewish misconception of God being so exalted that there was no personal relationship with him possible. But that has been made possible through Christ for us today. Amen? There's another misconception that I think this phrase helps us to avoid. Many modern Christians today have lost this high, exalted view of God, and they portray God as, and I'm quoting from a commentator, exclusively personal and warm. I was in the office of a female administrator of a facility who claimed to be a believer. And on the wall was a picture. And the picture was, I I don't know if somebody drew it for for her or, or what, but it was a picture of a woman being hugged by Jesus. I hated that picture. And the reason is, even the Apostle John, who laid his head on the bosom of Christ during his earthly life, 
when he saw Jesus in all of his glory, what did he do? He fell on his face as dead. And to me, that picture represents the modern Christian's view of God. And they forget that Jesus is no longer a man walking on this earth. I don't know about you, but when I get to heaven, my first thought is not going to be to go up and hug Jesus. My first thought is going to be to fall on my face because he's my king. He's my Lord. And to me, that's almost heretical. That I think I could walk up to Jesus and, and hug him. Now, I understand the sentiment behind the picture. Let me read an extended quote from D.A. Carson. Somehow, his sovereignty and exalted transcendence disappear. If you enter into certain American churches, you will hear the enthusiastic singing of some ditty as, He's a great, big, wonderful God. Regrettably, I never fail to think of a great, big, wonderful teddy bear. Such choruses are not quite heretical, not quite blasphemous. I sometimes wish they were, for then they would be readily condemned for specific evil. They are something much worse than isolated blasphemy and heresy. They constitute part of a pattern of irreverence, shallow theology, and experience-dominated religious criteria, D.A. Carson. So combined, our Father, who art in heaven, helps us to remember that God is the Father of those who have been saved, but he still is the sovereign God who reigns from that sphere of the heavenly places. He is a personal, transcendent being. I want you to remember that Jesus was speaking this model prayer to those who already had a high and exalted view of God, but what they left out is that they could have a personal relationship with him. So this is the second thing I would like you to get if you don't get anything else from this sermon. We should feel a deep sense of gratitude because of the privilege that we have in approaching God in such a personal and intimate way. And that Father has been revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said to Philip, Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me? Philip, after Philip asked him, Show us the Father. It will suffice us. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? John 1.18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. And I think of someone who had an intimate relationship with God was Moses. And here he was on Mount Sinai, and he said, show me thy glory. Sometimes I wondered what it would have been like to be Moses and see the glory of God. Would have I been that bold 
to ask God, show me thy glory. And of course, after some exchange, God says, you can't see my face, I'll show you my back parts, whatever that means. And he covered Moses in the cleft of a rock, and God passed by him. Moses saw the glory of God. So much so that when he went down to see the children of Israel, his face was shining, not reflecting. He had absorbed some of the glory of God, as it were, and his face was shining. You need to keep that kind of image in mind when you approach God in prayer. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. He has led forth and expounded to us the Father. And so when we pray, our Father who art in heaven, we need to think of heaven when we pray. Heaven is a high and exalted place. God is infinitely above us. Heaven is an observing place. It is the place from which God sees us. Heaven is a pure place. No sin dwells there. God is holy. Heaven is a spiritual place. Prayer is a matter of the heart, not just the lips. Prayer is a matter of faith, not just human ingenuity. A.W. Pink says, no physical voice on earth can rend the skies. And what I like, folks, according to Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is where? Our citizenship is in heaven. Heaven is our home, and we are but pilgrims here, physically, away from our Heavenly Father. And folks, as we pray, we should have that desire, that wish to be where our Father is and also should know that God, our Father, wants us to be with Him where He is. Jesus said in John 17, 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. That's what God wants. He wants us to be with Him. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, you need to get this connection. Our citizenship is in heaven, but folks, you're already there. Oh, you're looking at me like I'm a heretic. Some are saying no, they're smiling big. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6. You're already there. We'll start in verse 4, but God, who is rich, in mercy for his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. Here it is, verse 6. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together, where? In heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In the person of Jesus Christ, you are already there in those heavenly realms where God is. Boy, that'll make you think, won't it? What a blessing that is. And that's where our desire should be, is those heavenly places. Heaven is a place where our enemy does not and cannot assault. Even if Satan has access to the throne room of God, he basically has been cast out and has no authority there whatsoever. And when he comes to accuse us before the Father, Jesus Christ, our advocate, 
is there for us. Heaven. The physical place of heaven, if you could call it that, is shown to us that it's a place where there's no more tears. How often have you, as you addressed your Father in heaven in prayer, struggling with something in your life, pouring out your heart, and when you get off your knees, the tears are gone because you know your Father's taking care of it. Because he's, he, that's the place we can cast our care upon him, for he cares for us. Heaven's a place where there's no more pain, no more death, no more parting, no more sorrow, no more crying, no time, no night or darkness, no sin, no defilement, no lies, no liars. You know what heaven is? It's a place of complete satisfaction and rest. It's a place of abundant life. Life more abundantly. It's a place of perfect justice and righteousness, and it's a place of incredible fellowship. But you know what heaven represents to me most of all? This one word, victory. Victory. Because my Bible tells me that after Jesus Christ died on the cross, after he rose from the grave, after he was ascended up into heaven, he sat down till his enemies be made his footstool. And when we pray to our Heavenly Father, we pray to our Father who art in heaven, those are the kind of things we need to keep in our minds as we pray. So how do you apply this as children of your Heavenly Father? It's very simple. Number one, obey Him. Obey Him. Matthew 12, 50, 1 Peter 1, 14, obey Him. Isn't that what your earthly fathers want? But you know what? When God wants us to obey Him and His, His, His law, His, His, His commandments are not burdensome, when he calls for us to obey, it's for our own good. Always. Number two, depend on him. So often we try to live the Christian life and handle problems and difficulties and trials and tribulations in our life. We try to do it on our own. And our Father in heaven is like standing there with his hand held out just trust me. Depend on me. I will get you through it. Number three, learn from him. Our Father has given us everything we need in the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Learn from him. Ephesians 5.1, number four, imitate him. Imitate. Be children who are imitators of God. So be forgiving, be merciful, love your enemies, but imitate your Father who is in heaven. And fifthly, don't fight his discipline. 
submit to his discipline in your lives. Our Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for these brief thoughts that you are our Father who is in heaven. I pray that you would take these things and help us to remember them and apply them to our prayer life. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.